In any relationship, whether it's at work or at home, there comes a time when feedback enters the picture. It might take the form of a performance evaluation, or maybe telling someone that they're doing something that bothers you. It could happen when we're receiving services and when we're asked, "How is everything?" We say, "Fine," even though we're dissatisfied. But the truth is, not being able to graciously give and receive feedback is harmful to our personal and professional relationships. What can we do to remove the awkwardness and bring more respect and honesty to feedback conversations? Welcome to episode five of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host Beth Bilo, and I am very grateful that you've joined me today. For many people, being evaluated or on the receiving end of feedback causes stress and anxiety. We feel like we're under a microscope, with our every flaw being named and dissected. It's stressful being the one to give the feedback as well. We want to be compassionate yet direct. We feel empathetic since we know that it's hard for someone to hear about the areas that aren't going so well. And this, of course, assumes that the feedback is negative, which sometimes and often is. After the conversation, I'm going to offer a couple of action items that might help you to bring some balance into your feedback conversations. And no, I promise you, it's not about a feedback sandwich. Keep listening to find out more. We're talking about feedback because of a listener question specifically about receiving feedback when it's uncomfortable. In this case, it's a service provider hearing from a client. Even if you haven't experienced the specific situation described, you've probably encountered a similar dilemma of needing to give or receive feedback on a sensitive or personal subject. In addition, we answer another listener question about establishing boundaries with others in a way that is considerate and still gets you what you need. My guest today is someone I have known and respected for many years. Arden Kleiss is founder and president of Kleiss Etiquette. As a professional trainer, coach, speaker, and author, Arden has helped thousands of professionals, from executives to frontline staff, confidently and comfortably navigate business situations for career success. A popular writer, Arden wrote a regular business etiquette column for the Puget Sound Business Journal and writes an award-winning newsletter. Her new book, "Spinach in Your Boss's Teeth: Essential Etiquette for Professional Success," is available on Amazon. You'll find information on how to connect with Arden on the episode page at howcanisaythis.com. Hi, Arden. Welcome to How Can I Say This. I am really happy to be talking with you today. Thank you, Beth. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Well, we heard in the introduction that you are an etiquette consultant. I wonder if you could open up by telling us just a bit about how you came to be an etiquette consultant and how you define etiquette in our modern world. Oh, certainly. Well, the the seed got planted many, many years ago when I worked for a financial institution, and my first job there was. Giving sponsorship money to nonprofits for their fundraising events, and I'd have to fill the table with people. We'd always get a table as part of the sponsorship, and people would sit down, and I'd see panic in their eyes because they didn't <laughs> know which fork to use, which bread plate belonged to them, which glass was theirs. And I thought, gosh, it's so too bad that such little things are tripping people up and making them feel mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And if they just had a few tips and tricks, they would know exactly what to do and could relax. 
And so it took many years, but um, many years later, I decided to go ahead and start my business as an etiquette consultant after being asked by a CEO at another job for etiquette advice and realized that it was something I really loved doing and had passion for and, and I guess, the uh, knowledge for (laughs) and decided that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And you were trained, right? You've been through a program. Yes, I got trained. I actually went to a school. There are actually schools where you can get trained as an etiquette consultant. I know. Yeah, there's, there's several in the United States and actually around the world. So that really got me started and then worked with some other people to kind of help me with the business side of things and then launched my business. And you've been successfully in business for how long? Gosh, it's 10 years, Beth. I can't believe it. Wow. Congratulations. That's awesome. I know. It's so exciting. That's great. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if it's evolved over the 10 years, but how would you define etiquette now? Well, you know, etiquette is always evolving and it really it changes based on societal norms societal expectations what's going on in our world you know so when technology smartphones and email and all the digital tools that we use were created that set up a whole nother bunch of etiquette rules around how we use those mm-hmm. when we're around people and how we how we use them to be effective and productive So etiquette is always evolving. It's always changing. I'll give you an example. You know, probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe less, you were taught, I'm sure you were and many of your listeners, that you never, ever, ever put your elbows on the table. Well, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. that's evolved a little bit, and you can now put your elbows on the table when there's no food on the table. Mm. So that's kind of a dining etiquette example. Um, Some others, you know, when women were first getting into the workforce, you didn't see many women, and usually they were in support roles, and so men didn't shake women's hands, and women didn't really shake hands except with each other, and you addressed everyone by Mr. and Mrs., and now, you know, because women make up half the workforce, everyone shakes hands with each other. There's no chivalry in the workforce, so men don't stand when a woman walks into a, a business meeting. Um, You know, they don't treat a woman any differently than they would a man. So those are some examples of how etiquette has changed and evolved based on what's happening in the world. Yeah, excellent. Those are great examples. And I'm glad to hear about the elbows on the table thing. (laughs) It's so funny because, you know, I should say for listeners, you know, you and I have known each other now for almost 10 years. I would say it's, you know, a Mm -hmm, good chunk of that mm -hmm. time. And I know your advice has helped me so much. Thank Um, you. And every time I sit down at a table, especially at a fundraising event, I'm like, thank goodness for Arden and the work she does. <laughs> you know, the the focus of the podcast is often, you know, it's called How Can I Say This? But it's, you know, how can I show up in the most confident and comfortable way possible around difficult situations? And I think that is very much overlapping the core of your yeah. your intention as well. And one of the ways that I have come to be more comfortable and confident is because of your advice to look for cues, you know, like, look around you, what are other people doing, that even if it's maybe not socially acceptable in the technical way, you know, or in the the formal way, if other people are doing it, then sometimes following the cues is a little more important than following the rules. Oh, absolutely. Yes. If following etiquette would make others uncomfortable, then is fine to drop etiquette. Yeah. To, you know, do what kind of makes others feel comfortable. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, very true. Well, and and I thought of you immediately when I received a couple of these listener questions because they are workplace based. And I know you do a lot of consulting and coaching in professional work environments and at the corporate level. Mm -hmm. And they deal with things that are maybe slightly embarrassing or very personal. Mm-hmm. And it felt like you would probably have some really great ideas about how these folks can approach their conundrums. So let's start out by listening to a listener question that was submitted by Karen. And for this, we have an audio clip. Let's listen in. Okay. Hi there, Beth. My name is Karen. I'm an instructor in a massage therapy school. I've been teaching for a very long time. So I'm always interested in the answer to this question. In the context of my classroom, as students are working on one another, let's say the person who's giving you a massage session, let's say their breath is really bad. How can I give them the feedback that their breath is bad? I try to guide my students into figuring out how they would want to hear this feedback that I try to shape for them to give each other, but I'm interested how you might give someone feedback that their breath stinks. Uh, Thank you. And this looks like a fun project. Good luck with all your podcasts. Thank you. So Arden, what I hear in Karen's question is kind of twofold. And it's something that almost all of us have probably struggled with at some point, which is either giving feedback that we're nervous about giving. And in Karen's case, I think of how the client might feel. (laughs) And then receiving feedback that's difficult to hear. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that kind of giving and receiving of something that might be challenging? Sure. Well, I think that um, when you're approaching a topic like Karen talked about body odor or bad breath, it's really important to see it less as a personal issue and more as a performance issue. So for instance, let's talk about the massage world. You know, if she's training a student and she notices that student is using a pressure that's really uncomfortable for someone, she needs to teach them that that's probably not appropriate, that it's too hard mm-hmm. because that's going to affect the student. And so she needs to approach bad breath or body odor just the same way. So she knows that this massage therapist student has body odor or bad breath, with it, whichever, and that will also affect the relationship with the client. And so She or he, whoever's giving the advice, needs to approach it just as if they were saying something like, did you know that your massage technique is really a a little too deep and you need to back it off? So, for instance, um, you may not be aware of this, but I noticed that you occasionally have bad breath. And I'm sure you'd want to know because sometimes that's a little bothersome to a client and may make a client a little uncomfortable. And then say something like, you know, I know, no, she may not, she or he may not know this, but there are certain foods that will affect bad breath, such as coffee, anything tomato-based, of course, garlic, a lot of garlic. So, you know, um, sugar, also a lot of sugar will affect your breath. So, you know, maybe problem solving a little bit around, you know, um, are you drinking coffee right before you're working on your clients or you know, what are you eating before you have your massage sessions? And so brainstorming around that and helping the person have some buy-in around that so that they don't feel like they're just being told you're bad and change it. Yeah, yeah. So it's really how you approach it. Yeah. How about if you are the massage therapist and say, I'm the client and I notice mm-hmm. 
there's a strong smell and I may or may not know where it's coming from, but maybe I strongly suspect that it is from the massage therapist. I guess I have twofold, you know, how can I say what I'm experiencing? And then if I'm the massage therapist, what would you say is the best way to receive that feedback without getting defensive or feeling offended? Yeah. Well, you know, and I think it's great that we're talking about this in the realm of massage therapy because I know when I get a massage, you know, the therapist always says to me, be sure to let me know if the pressure is too strong or too light or, you know, if this is anything's uncomfortable. And so, you know, I think really, especially in that profession, but this would apply to any profession, it's important to be open to feedback in order to best please your client and best uh, create a, a harmonious, happy relationship. And so seeing it less as an affront and like, oh, you know, personally I'm bad, really seeing it as someone is trying to help me, that person could instead decide, you know, this person has bad body odors, I'm just going to stop seeing them. And then you would never know. And so realizing that it's really a gift to receive feedback from someone because it could be something that's affecting not just this client but others as well. So, you know, it is always hard to hear something that's negative or or criticism, but thank the person and say thank you, you know, especially because it might be really hard for someone to say, did you know occasionally you've got a little bit of body odor? Uh, That's hard for someone to say. So be gracious and and say, gosh, thank you so much. I wasn't aware of that, and and I'll look into that. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I know easier said than done, but really (laughs) seeing it as a gift, it is truly a gift. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because like, you make a very important point that if we don't speak up, and if it's not graciously received, then we will take our business elsewhere. Exactly. And the other person might never know why. Yeah. So, you know, I could hear myself sort of kind of laughing a little bit like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. I am so glad you told me. Right. Yeah. You know, let me do something about that. Yeah. That's a great way of doing it. Just to break the the tension. Exactly. <laughs> you know, to say, oops. <laughs> it is. It's intense for everyone because it feels hard bringing up something that's seemingly so personal. But yeah, a little humor is always a good way to approach it and laughing and making a joke if, if that's appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and you're reminding us also, it seems like both in the in the giving and the receiving, to keep it on the professional level yes. and to not personalize it or take it personally. Right. Um, that enables us to be a little bit detached from it. And so even if somebody is giving it in such a way that sounds personal, I would say as the professional receiving it, that person still has to err on the side of assuming that it's professional feedback and they're going to respond professionally and try their best not to personalize Mm -hmm. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the key delivering it. Don't see it as a personal issue. Just see it as a performance issue. And that makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. And this goes for, like you said, there's all sorts of situations. I'm even thinking about open office environments. You know, there's a cubicle and somebody is eating really crunchy food or something that has a really strong smell or bringing in flowers that have a really strong smell Mm -hmm. or, you know, anything that can be distracting that it might be a little tricky to approach them and say, hey, you know. Right. (laughs) Well, and here's the other thing too, Beth, I'm sure you've talked about this, but using I statements is so, so important. So that means Mm -hmm. instead of saying, you know, your food smells or the flowers you brought in are really strong, instead, you'd have to take ownership. So an I statement starts with I. So you explain the situation. Those flowers are beautiful. 
I am having a hard time with how strong they are, how the smell is, is bothering me. Would you be willing to take them home today? So, so you're owning what's going on with you because it could be that everyone else is not uncomfortable with it, and that doesn't mean it, it's wrong for you. You're having this experience of being uncomfortable with the smell. And so you own it, and you say, I'm uncomfortable with this blah, blah, blah. Would you, so the next part is a request, would you be willing to or would you mind talking quietly? Would you mind not eating such and so food in your cubicle? And the person can say yes or no. Yeah, true. Thank you for all of that. That we could have a whole entire discussion about all of those, <laughs> those <laughs> points because I, it's like the more you think of different scenarios, it's like oh yeah, and then there's this and right. this. So I was really glad for Karen's question to bring yeah. this up. And I've got another one here from another listener. Um, his name's Derek Butler, and he's an introvert. And he wrote to me and he said, I'm an introvert and I have trouble establishing boundaries without defaulting to the other person's needs. How do I tell others what I need and where my boundaries are in a professional setting without alienating them? Yeah, so introverts and extroverts, as we know, have different styles of communicating. Introverts typically will ask, so for instance, have you considered talking to Mary about that? Versus an extrovert saying, go talk to Mary. And so (laughs) if Derek is feeling like he needs to use extrovert language, that may be really uncomfortable for him. But he can still establish his boundaries by saying, um, you know, it's hard to know exactly this, this scenario, but let's say someone says, you know, can you get this report done by 2 o'clock today? And he's got a million things on his plate. Um, he could say something like, is 2 p.m. an absolute drop-dead, non-negotiable deadline today? And then, you know, if the person says, well, you know, no, we could do it a little bit later. Would you mind if I got it to you at four today because I've got on my plate such and so, this, 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 and that, that needs to be done by this time? So sometimes getting clarification and then asking a question rather than saying, no, I can't do it, uh, might be easier for him. Yeah. Yeah, that really gets to the without defaulting to their needs because when we default to what they are telling us they want or need, we can forget that we can question right. that or we can challenge it, you know, politely and tactfully, Absolutely. but we we don't have to take it at face value. Right. And I think that is a really important part of drawing those mm-hmm. boundaries. You know, what about if you're feeling like you are a, a private person in an otherwise kind of gregarious or extroverted environment and you want people to understand that, you know, you're part of the team, but you kind of have your, you know, you might leave your ringer off, <laughs> you know, um, you might not always pick up the phone or you you might prefer email over the phone. I, I keep picking on the phone, but that's kind of an introvert mm-hmm. thing. You know, so how, how can somebody articulate those kinds of sure. needs when they're not in a culture necessarily that would intuitively get right. them? Yeah, it's definitely harder when you are surrounded by an extroverted culture. But again, everyone has legitimate needs and different ways of doing things. And that's what makes a a richer workplace when people are allowed to bring their gifts, their needs to a workplace, not seeing it as a negative, but instead seeing it as an opportunity to 
be open and honest with your coworkers. So for instance, saying, you know, for me, I'm a lot more responsive and comfortable with responding to emails rather than the phone. So would you mind emailing me unless it's an emergency? And so that is absolutely fine. You're asking, you're stating why you're making the request. And, you know, you're letting people know that they're going to have a better response from you if that's the way they approach it. And I don't see any problem with establishing that as a boundary. You know, someone else might say, no way, send me an email. I don't look at my emails. If you want to get a hold of me, call me. And that's just as legitimate. So there's no uh, shame in however you approach things and asking for people to honor that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like establishing boundaries is often just a matter of asking Mm -hmm. for what you need. And what I hear you saying is also, you know, framing it in the context of this is Mm -hmm. how I work best, um, or this is how you're going to get the best response from me. So I ask for your cooperation. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes it's a negotiation. Somebody might say, you know what, just no way I can only email you, you know, we're going to have to have phone calls once a day. So, you know, uh, there may be negotiation and then you, you can say, well, you know, or maybe they say, you know, we have to talk twice a day and you say, well, you know, could we make it once a day? You know, so realize that you're looking at how's this going to be a win-win for everyone, but absolutely starting with your needs and stating why you're asking for that. So people understand that you're not just being difficult. Don't ever call me, just email me. People might be like, why, why, what's wrong with you? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I love that you brought up um, the negotiation aspect of it, because I think, again, you know, that's part of establishing boundaries and not defaulting is to go into things not as absolutes, but as an opportunity yeah. to negotiate and share a little bit about yourself that hopefully will continue to help people to know you better and know how you operate better. And the more you do that, probably the fewer times in the future, you'll have to remind them that this is how you operate. They'll just say, oh, yeah, Derek doesn't like phone calls. Right. I'll just email him. Exactly. And you don't even have to have the conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, these, you know, they seem to be two very different questions, but they have in common that need to either give or receive feedback that could be perceived as sensitive or very personal. What are one or two of the most important things that we can do to prepare ourselves for a challenging feedback situation? When you're giving feedback or you're receiving it? Either one or both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so I think when you're preparing to give, uh, a, you know, you're going to be having a challenging feedback situation, really thinking through what you're going to say, practicing it, and being able to say it almost as if you say, you know, the sun's out today so that it's mm-hmm. not loaded with, you know, oh, you know, I, I've got something to tell you. It's going to be really hard to tell you this, you know, just get rid of that. Um, did you know that occasionally you have body odor? Just like the sun's out today, you know, so really getting ready and mentally prepared to be in a space of compassion, of Love, really, you know, and honesty and make sure it's, you're not having a quick meeting. Make sure it's not something, you know, that you're doing at the last minute or you're being caught off guard or, you know, whatever. So if it's something that you are controlling, make sure you're in your best state and to really realize that you're helping someone ultimately. And then receiving, well, when we receive challenging feedback, we don't always have notice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, maybe someone said, can you come and, you know, have a meeting in my office today at two? And you're like, well, we never meet at 
too on Wednesdays. So, you know, something's going on. As long as it's not four o'clock on Friday. <laughs> right, exactly. Ooh. <laughs> you know, I think the key is to not assume <laughs> because you don't know. But when you actually receive that feedback, you know, and if it's hard to take, take a deep breath like I just did. Take a deep breath. And don't speak for a moment, gather yourself, and then realize that it's probably coming from a place of caring, it's probably coming from a place that says, I want to help this person be their best self, and show your gratitude for their openness and honesty, if you can. Try not to get defensive. So hard sometimes. I know. I think of that phrase, assume best intent. Yes. Because I would guess, as you pointed out before, it's really difficult to give that kind of feedback. And even when we practice it and do our best, sometimes it still comes out wrong. (laughs) And that feels kind of icky on our part. And then for the person that's receiving it, it feels even worse. So I think there's opportunities for us to remember to treat ourselves and the person that we are talking to with compassion. Mm And to give ourselves a little grace around it, we can put a lot of pressure and stress about it. But in the end, it's two human beings talking to each other and hopefully giving them, like you said, you know, you refer to it as a gift, you know, remembering that it's Mm -hmm. a gift and taking it in that spirit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to end on a slightly lighter (laughs) note, (laughs) because as we learned in the introduction, you have a book called Spinach in Your Boss's Teeth. So I want you to let us in on the answer to the title. (laughs) How do we handle that embarrassing situation of noticing that there's spinach in our boss's teeth? Right. Well, similar to what I've been talking about, you simply say discreetly to that person, did you know you've got a little spinach in your teeth? So the key there is quietly without, you know, making a big fuss, but do say it because there's nothing worse than going back to the bathroom or getting in your car and looking in the mirror and saying, oh my goodness, how long has that been there? Exactly. You're doing someone a favor. (laughs) Absolutely. Again, a gift. Yes, a gift. Exactly. (laughs) So how can people learn more about you and find a copy of your book, Spinach in Your Boss's Teeth? Well, they can get my book on Amazon. And uh, my website is a little challenging, the spelling. It's kleisetiquette.com. Do I have time to spell that out? Well, what I will actually do is I'll have a link on the episode webpage. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And that'll make it easy for folks to find you. Yeah, yeah. Kleisetiquette.com. And then my book's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Excellent. Excellent. And I have a copy of that book. I believe it's signed. And it's really a wonderful reference piece for all sorts of situations. And I think anyone who is a fan of How Can I Say This would find just lots of wonderful information and insight in it. So thank you for that gift to all of us who have our own very awkward moments and want to be able to handle them gracefully. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you, Arden. Have a great day. As I promised at the top of the show, I have a few calls to action for you that reflect some of the main points in the conversation. This is all regarding feedback. When it's time to give or receive feedback, take a moment to reframe it in your mind as a gift to or from the other person. As much as you can, depersonalize it, especially if it's someone you know and love. Consider how you can focus on the action or behavior, not the character or beliefs of the other person. And finally, and this is a bonus invitation, let feedback stand on its own, positive and negative. Avoid the feedback sandwich that sounds like, 
Hey, Mary, you do such great work, but would you please make sure you're stapling the reports in the left-hand corner instead of the right? Thanks for being on time with everything. You're great. Yuck. <laughs> Always pairing a criticism with a compliment trains us to hear every compliment as the lead-in to a critique, meant to butter us up and weaken our defenses. And if that happens often enough, we stop trusting the compliments. It's like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Instead, be generous and specific with praise as a standalone activity. And as needed, be direct and honest with your critiques, offering them in a thoughtful tone that conveys your respect for the other person's capacity to handle the feedback and respond appropriately. A feedback sandwich assumes a potentially negative reaction. Instead of treating the other person like someone who can maturely receive information intended to be useful to them. Both feedback and boundaries are such huge, important topics that I am positive that we'll be coming back to both of them in the months and years to come. In the meantime, if you have a how can I say this question to submit for a future episode, you'll find the online submission form at howcanisaythis.com. You can also leave a text or voicemail 24-7 at 562-704-6643. That number again is 562-704-6643. And no worries if you didn't have a chance to write that down. You will find the number on the Submit a Question page on the website. Regardless of how you leave your question, you have the choice to be completely anonymous if you like. Feel free to ask about a generic scenario or get more specific. Either way, it would be delightful to hear from you. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. I also invite you to take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Reviews and subscribers help to boost the visibility of the show. And the more people who listen, the better conversations we can all start having. You'll find links and information on how to subscribe and leave a review at howcanisaythis.com. Thank you so much to those who have already shared a review. I really appreciate this recent comment from Violin Rose. They wrote, lots of valuable information on how to engage people from a place of curiosity, compassion, and a genuine desire to learn about their truth without compromising your beliefs. And I love that because that captures what the intention of this show is all about. Thank you for your support, Violin Rose, as well as to anyone else who has left a review and anyone who will leave one in the future. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Thank you.